Good morning. My name is Molly Plaman, and our gathering scripture today comes from Lamentations 2, verses 1 through 7. The Lord in his anger has cast a dark shadow over beautiful Jerusalem. The fairest of Israel's cities lies in the dust, thrown away from the heights of heaven. In his day of great anger, the Lord has shown no mercy, even to his temple. Without mercy, the Lord has destroyed every home in Israel. In his anger, he has broken down the fortress walls of beautiful Jerusalem. He has brought them to the ground, dishonoring the kingdom and its rulers. All the strength of Israel vanishes beneath his fierce anger. The Lord has withdrawn his protection as the enemy attacks. He consumes the whole land of Israel like a raging fire. He bends his bow against his people as though he were their enemy. His strength is used against them to kill their finest youth. His fury is poured out like fire on beautiful Jerusalem. Yes, the Lord has vanquished Israel like an enemy. He has destroyed her palaces and demolished her fortresses. He has brought unending sorrow and tears upon beautiful Jerusalem. He has broken down his temple as though it were merely a garden shelter. The Lord has blotted out all memory of the holy festivals and Sabbath days. Kings and priests fall together before his fierce anger. The Lord has rejected his own altar. He despises his own sanctuary. He has given Jerusalem's palaces to her enemies. They shout in the Lord's temple as though it were a day of celebration. Hello, Grace242. I just want to warn you up front that today's chapter in Lamentations is one of the most difficult in the entire Bible. Today we are dealing with some faith-shaking, core-shaking material, and it's really, really difficult. But if we can wade through the, the horror, we're going to find hope coming out the other side. And so that's the invitation today, is to come with us as we wade through the horror in order to find hope at the very end. So, first the horror. Several years ago, there was a family from Sheboygan Falls, Wisconsin that lost three of their four children in a house fire. Watch this clip. Chris and Christy Mackey's lives turned upside down January 26th of last year. While at Bible study, their children were alone in the house when it set fire. Their 11-year-old, Natalie, took her 9-year-old sister Jenna to safety before she ran back into their burning home to save her brothers, 7-year-old Carter and 10-year-old Ben. The three never made it back out. The fact that Jenna got out of that house alive is an absolute miracle. And then just last year, tragedy struck this same family again when the half-sibling of the siblings who died in the fire was riding his bike on his way to school in the morning and was struck by a garbage truck and died. Watch this clip. Wednesday morning, Roman woke up late, got on his bike to ride the two miles to St. Paul Lutheran School. He was halfway there when he was struck and killed by a Sheboygan City garbage truck. Police say Roman was riding his bike on the sidewalk when he tried crossing Center Avenue. At the same time, the garbage truck made a right turn right into Roman's path. The tragedy compounded as news broke late this week that Roman is also the half-brother of three siblings who died in a Sheboygan Falls fire just three years ago. Roman was not there when the fire broke out. Four of his half-siblings were home alone. Roman's nine-year-old half-sister Jenna made it out alive because his other half-sister, 11-year-old Natalie, ran back into the house to save her. Firefighters later found Natalie's body in the same room as Roman's two half-brothers, seven-year-old Carter and 10-year-old Ben. 
Now, I draw your attention to that Sheboygan Falls family because they've experienced more tragedy over the course of four years than most people will have to experience in their entire lifetime. Four children lost in the course of four years. One wonders how those parents can even rouse themselves from the bed every morning to face the day after what they've been through. Who has seen sorrow like that? And Jeremiah asks the same question about Jerusalem in chapter 2, verse 13. What can I say about you? Who has ever seen such sorrow? O daughter of Jerusalem, to what can I compare your anguish? O virgin daughter of Zion, how can I comfort you? For your wound is as deep as the sea. Who can heal you? The Sheboygan Falls tragedy and the tragedy of the fall of Jerusalem are similar in that they both experienced unparalleled sorrow and both tragedies pierce our hearts because the sorrow involves children. This family from Sheboygan Falls lost four children over the course of four years, and the fall of Jerusalem affected everyone that lived in that city, including the children. Now, I'm not going to go into too much detail, so I'm not going to quote a whole lot directly from Lamentations chapter 2. If you want the details, I'd say go read it yourself. But they are very difficult details to have to deal with. When Babylon placed Jerusalem under siege, the idea was to conquer a city through a slow process of strangulation. By parking your troops outside the city walls, you cut off their metaphorical airway. You cut off their lifeline. Both the water supply and the food supply were cut off. And the Babylonians parked their troops outside the city for a length of time that we're talking about months, not just days. So eventually, the food supply inside the city ran so low that people, including children, were dying of starvation. Jeremiah even makes mention of cannibalism in chapter 2. But children were not exempt from the disaster brought upon Jerusalem, and when the Babylonian army finally broke through those city walls, the children were not exempt from the ensuing slaughter either. Chapter 2 is straight up horrific in its description of the Babylonian invasion. And as if this horror isn't enough to deal with in and of itself, verses 4 and 5 press our faith to the limit. This is where it gets really difficult, folks. Here's what Jeremiah says in 4 and 5 of Lamentations chapter 2. He bends his bow against his people as though he were their enemy. This is God Jeremiah is talking about. His strength is used against them to kill their finest youth. His fury is poured out like fire on beautiful Jerusalem. Yes, the Lord has vanquished Israel like an enemy. He has destroyed her palaces and demolished her fortresses. He has brought unending sorrow and tears upon beautiful Jerusalem. That's hard stuff. Essentially, verses 4 and 5 are God owning the disaster that befell Jerusalem. Sure, the Babylonians were the active agents in the fall of Jerusalem. It was to the Babylonian sword that the people inside the city fell. The Babylonian troops were the ones who killed all those people in the city. The Babylonian troops were the ones who sieged the city. The Babylonian troops were the ones who burned down the city and destroyed the temple. But here's God standing behind all of it, claiming ownership of it. And part of me wants to let God off the hook and be like, no, God, don't own that so much. 
This is the effects of living in a fallen world, which is true, but God is taking an ownership element here of all of this, which makes me go, is this a God I want to serve? Is this a faith I want to have? Do I really want to put my trust into a God who is going to own a disaster that swallows up children, like the Babylonian invasion of Jerusalem? Now, there are reasons why the disaster is coming upon the city of Jerusalem. There are reasons why God is pouring out His wrath upon this city. Look at 1b and 6a of chapter 2. Jeremiah says, The Lord has shown no mercy even to His temple. He has broken down His temple as though it were merely a garden shelter. Now, the temple as God's house was the place where God's presence lived. And it was this picture of a God's constant presence with His people. However, the people began to treat that constant presence of God almost as if it were some sort of magic talisman or good luck charm. Because now they began to just do whatever they want, and as they began to do whatever they wanted, they could just look at the temple and say, well, God doesn't care, or God's favor is still upon us. Just look, He lives right there. We're the chosen people, and we're so chosen that we have God living right with us. So I can do whatever I want. The temple became this good luck charm that the people looked to, to justify whatever they were doing because they could just say, oh, we're the chosen people, just look over there. You need any proof of that? The temple's proof, God's living right there. We're untouchable because God lives with us. And when God allowed the Babylonians to destroy his temple, he is smashing that magic talisman. He's smashing that good luck charm. And so my question, I just want to pause for us a second and ask, what magic talismans or what good luck charms need to be smashed in our lives? I think a simple one is church attendance. Do we look at church attendance as our way of checking the box, as our magic talisman or good luck charm and say, it doesn't really matter what I do the rest of the week because I've gone to church on Sunday. You know, I'm a good person because I go to church. This is where I find my hope, or I'm good, I'm covered because I'm a good churchgoer. You know what's fascinating is that an overwhelming majority of Grace 242 comes out of a previous former faith tradition that I think is rife with magic talismans, and church attendance is one of them. That it almost doesn't matter what happens Monday through Saturday, as long as you go to church on Sunday. You checked your box, you did your time, you're good. Sunday's God's time, and then the rest of the week is your time. Because you're a good churchgoer on Sunday. What magic talismans need to be smashed in our lives? The temple as a magic talisman was one of the reasons why God allowed the judgment of the Babylonians to come upon Israel. But another reason is that the people actually began putting pagan idols into the temple. They began to prop up idols from these pagan nations, idols, false gods, and put them in God's house and to worship them. And so God is smashing all of that, and he's bringing his judgment upon the people for temple as a magic talisman and temple as a home for false and pagan gods. Now, I think there's a reason, there's many reasons, but I think one of the reasons why Jeremiah is focusing in on the horror that befell children in the city because I think he's connecting us to another reason for God's judgment. The people of Judah had engaged in a practice, a horrific pagan practice, 
of worship, and that practice was sacrificing their children to pagan gods, which is something that is abhorrent to God. And it was Jeremiah himself who had warned people about this practice and that if they were to continue sacrificing their children to pagan gods, that God's judgment would come upon them. Look at Jeremiah 19, verses 3 to 5. God says, Say to them, Listen to this message from the Lord, you kings of Judah and citizens of Jerusalem. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says, I will bring a terrible disaster on this place, and the ears of those who hear about it will ring. For Israel has forsaken me and turned this valley into a place of wickedness. The people burn incense to foreign gods, idols, never before acknowledged by this generation, by their ancestors, or by the kings of Judah. And they have filled this place with the blood of innocent children. There it is. They have built pagan shrines to Baal, and there they burn their sons as sacrifices to Baal. I have never commanded such a horrible deed. It never even crossed my mind to command such a thing. And so it is Jeremiah himself that warns them against this awful, pagan, horrific practice. And this is another reason why God's judgment is finally coming upon the people. Now all of this goes back to the covenant at Mount Sinai. Way back at Mount Sinai, God promised that the Jews would reflect who God was to the other nations. They would live in such a radically different and better way according to God that their radically different lives would show the rest of the world who God is. They are picking up the baton from Adam and Eve to be image bearers, to be reflections, to be imagers of who God is and spread His reign over this earth. They are kingdom representatives tasked with the job of spreading His reign over this earth. But they got to live according to God's way. And now they have not lived up to that end of the covenant. They have not lived God's way. Instead of reflecting God to the other nations, they adopted the practices of the other nations and reflected the other nations. Instead of living like God to reflect God to the other nations, they live like the other nations and reflect the other nations. And now God is finally bringing his judgment upon them for not holding up their end of the covenant. And this is why God's wrath is being poured out. This is why God is allowing the Babylonians to unleash this horrible terror. Now that's a brief explanation of why God is allowing this to happen, but it's very unsettling to see God own the destruction of Jerusalem and own this terror and this horror that's befalling His own people. It's really unsettling to see Him say, yeah, that's my doing. He bends His bow against His people. He vanquishes Israel. He destroys her palaces. That ownership is really tough to reckon with. Is this a God I want to serve? Is this a God I can trust? What kind of God am I worshiping if He's a God who's willing to own such horror? And if He's willing to do this to His chosen people, is He willing to do it with me? If he's this angry at Judah, is he angry with me too? If he's going to bring his judgment in this way upon Judah, is he going to bring his judgment in this way upon me as well? Now I chose to walk us through Lamentations because we're in the midst of this once-in-a-lifetime pandemic. And I chose to Lamentations because joy and happiness are scarce, and tears and grief and sorrow are plentiful. 
And when we look at the disaster that befell Jerusalem, I think any Christian in their right mind would ask, is this pandemic God's judgment upon us today? There's a church sign in downtown Dallas that put up this on their marquee asking, is the coronavirus a judgment from God? When we see God's anger poured out on Jerusalem, I think the next logical question for us as Christians is whether or not this pandemic is God pouring out His anger on us. When we see how angry God was with Jerusalem, we look at the pandemic and wonder, is God angry with me? The first thing I'd say in answer to that question is that God certainly uses disasters like this pandemic to get our attention. I mean, there's a reason why churches were flooded in the wake of the terror attacks on September 11th, 2001. And one of the good things that's come out of this pandemic is that church attendance, albeit not in person but virtual, has been at an all-time peak. People are running to church. My friend Brian Jacobson says that he has a college friend who he hasn't talked to in 20 plus years, who lives somewhere out west and began tuning into the online services of First Presbyterian Newsburg. Pastor Brian also puts out these weekly video messages midweek to his people, and he says he gets something like 800 clicks on those things, and First Presbyterian is only a church of 200 people. And so the reach of the church is dramatic. People are running to the church right now. C.S. Lewis said, We can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. What does God want to draw your attention to during this pandemic? Or to use C.S. Lewis's language, what is he shouting into his megaphone so that you will hear? I told you that this message wades through horror to find hope on the other side. And here's that hope. Is God angry with me, and is the pandemic God's judgment upon us? We can't say yes. can't say yes. Is this pandemic God's anger and wrath being poured out on me? No, can't say yes to that. Look at John 9, 1-3. And as the disciples and Jesus go into this encounter, you're going to see a paradigm at work. Because the disciples remember this history. They remember these events of Jerusalem falling to the Babylonians. They remember their Jewish history. And you're going to see that historical paradigm at work as they encounter this blind man. And that paradigm is this. It's cause and effect. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been born blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? Now you can see this paradigm at work, right? The effect is blindness. So therefore the cause is sin, and now the question of the disciples is, is was that sin his own sin or was it his parents' sin? What sin caused this blindness? And here's Jesus' response in verse 3. It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. It was not because of his sins, it was not because of his parents' sins. It was so that God could be magnified. That's Jesus' answer. Is God angry with me? 
Is this pandemic resulting because of a certain group of people's sinful behavior? Is COVID-19 the pouring out of God's wrath on the world? No, we can't say that. This pandemic is so that the power of God could be shown. COVID-19 is so that our God could be magnified. How is God magnified under a tragedy like this pandemic? When Jerusalem fell to the Babylonians, God was pouring out His wrath on a city that had turned their backs on God. The horror of Lamentations is a city receiving their punishment for years of not holding up their end of the covenant. The horrors of chapter 2 are a city receiving the just punishment for the people turning their backs on God. The city had turned their backs on God, and in turn, God is now pouring out His wrath. Hundreds of years after Babylon invaded Jerusalem, outside those very walls that at one point had fallen to the invading troops, there was another back-turning, wrath-pouring event. Only this time, God didn't pour out His wrath on a people who had turned their backs on Him. Instead, God turned His back on His own Son as He poured out His wrath in order to save His people. In 586 BC, children of Jerusalem were swallowed up in the outpouring of God's wrath. And now, hundreds of years later, God placed His own innocent Son under the outpouring of that wrath. In 586 BC, a guilty city received their just punishment. Now, hundreds of years later, an innocent man took the punishment that we justly deserve. 1 Thessalonians 5.9 says, For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out His anger on us. And 1 Thessalonians 1.10 says, And they speak of how you are looking forward to the coming of God's Son from heaven, Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. He is the one who has rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. This is the hope that the terror we deserve has been undertaken by Jesus. Is COVID-19 God's anger with us? No, can't say that. So then why this pandemic? so that Jesus could be made all the more glorious.